I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. It's the passage we've been looking at for the past three weeks and coming to a close of this sermon series of living the whole, whole life the whole way. We've been focusing on the great commandments. And we will start in verse 34. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, down to verse 40. You probably almost have this memorized. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test them. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. It is living. It is active. It is like a double-edged sword, sharper than could possibly imagine. Dividing soul, bone, and marrow. It is like a fire. It's living water. It is a lamp and light to our feet and path. And we praise you. It's living. And it helps all of us because it is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting in all righteousness. Father, give us a greater hunger for your word, a deep hunger and thirst for your presence. May my words today be your words Open our hearts and our minds to hear your voice. Touch us and transform us so that it's all for your glory, so that you are glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to do a quick review, and then I have a short story to share. Over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And Mel alluded to that in one of our worship songs today. And one of the things that I've wanted us to be careful with is let's not try to silo and try to compartmentalize everything. And I shared last week that men's brains are like a waffle, all these compartmentalizations, and it's so easy for us to compartmentalize our lives. And women's brains are like spaghetti, not because it's all jumbled up. Actually, women are much more, have much higher emotional IQ and IQ than men do. They can absorb so much more all at once. But as men, we can compartmentalize things. And here in North America, we compartmentalize stuff. This is holy, this is secular, this is sacred, this is normal, and no. Here in, just, here in this passage here, when Jesus talks about loving God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, it's different aspects of who we are, but we're all one person. And Jesus is basically saying we need to jump completely in as if we were jumping into the deep end of the pool loving God with everything that we are. And there is a diagram. Our heart is the treasure. It's what we treasure. Our soul is our devotion. And our mind is our intelligence. Not just mental intelligence, but our emotional intelligence, our social intelligence. So where our heart, what we treasure, is what we'll be devoted to and what we're devoted to will be focused on. All that we are, Jesus calls us to love God with everything that we are, and to love our neighbor as herself. I've got a story to share with you, and I need to look at my notes just so I don't mess this up. I was reading actually several weeks ago, and there's a new disease that we've discovered. It's called herd disease, and it only affects the male population, 
generally from age 4 to 19, but there are men in their 20s who've been known to have this disease. The hypothesis behind this, and scientists in, in the in medical field are still trying to figure this out, is that the IQ and EQ of boys decreases exponentially with the addition of another boy within their social group. Why are you giggling? When my boys were little, and Christy and I noticed this when Sammy was four, five, and six years old, when they were alone or by themselves, they would play very reasonably. They were thoughtful, careful, at times a little hesitant, but they were still all boy. But we noticed something. With the addition of one friend, it seemed that their IQ would diminish by 50%. And then with the addition of another boy in the group, it would drop another 50%. And then again, and again, and again. They would become much more careless, thoughtless, and ignorant. Oblivious to those around them, losing their hearing and also increasing the volume of their speech. And they would throw caution to the wind by their actions. And they would do horrible, stupid, dumb stuff. It would get so bad that we would run out the door and say, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Herd disease. When boys get together, herd disease. Have you heard about it? Well, y'all are slow today. Have you lost your mind? How many of you have said that to someone in your life? What are you thinking? We've been called to love God with all of our mind. But what does that mean? What does it mean to love God with all of our mind? We see here Jesus commands us, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. It's all-encompassing. And the heart is our affections, our soul is our devotion, our mind it's our intelligence. But what does the mind mean? Well, in Scripture, in Hebrew culture, it intertwines both the intellectual and emotional dimensions of the human life. It's not just what we know up here. It's what we feel. It's what we're devoted to. The mind can refer to our intellectual and rational faculties, our understanding the power that conceives and judges and thinks and perceives and chooses and wills and reasons. It's where our decisions are made. It can also mean our entire spiritual nature and our soul. And when you read Scripture many times, when Scripture is referring to our mind, they will use words like heart, soul, and spirit meaning our entire whole inner self. So even though I've been dividing up these three characteristics, again, I want to encourage us. Jesus wants our whole lives. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. But how do we love God with all of our mind? Let's stand again, and we're going to read a different passage. Romans chapter 12. I refer to this passage a lot, but I love these two verses. Romans 12. Verses 1 and 2. If there's ever a passage that I want to encourage you guys to read, to memorize, that not only know it in your brain, but truly know it, absorb it like a dry sponge that gets put into a bucket of water. These two verses right here, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, sorry if I get fumbled and bumbled. I learned this, I memorized this in NIV, and we're reading the... SCB, S, the CSB. 
I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You may be seated. Romans 12, real quick. Paul wrote Romans 12. He wrote all the book of Romans. And from chapter 1 to 11, Paul did not know the church in Rome. They knew about Paul. He knew several people in Rome. But he didn't plant that church. And Paul's deep desire, he had already gone around in all of Asia Minor throughout Israel, planting churches, proclaiming the gospel in areas that there was no church, there was no gospel. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul says, I'm planning to go to Spain because there's no more work for me here. And I want to stop in Rome because I want to bless you and I need you to help me get to Spain on his mission trips. That's what Paul says in Rome, in Romans chapter 15. So he writes this letter introducing himself, who he is and what he believes. Because by this time in Paul's life, there were lots of rumors that Paul was crazy. There were many churches that he even started and helped plant that no longer accepted his leadership. And so there was lots of gossip about who Paul was. So he introduces himself to the Roman church. It's not the Roman Catholic church, but the Roman church. And from chapter 1 through 11, he explains his theology. And if you ever want to go deep in Scripture, deep in theology, read Romans. And read it again and again and again. It's an incredible book. It's a very deep book. And when Paul gets to the end of chapter 11, he's explained everything about God's sovereignty and God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy. He shares the gospel that Jesus is the way. And because of God's great mercy, because of his great grace, because of his sovereignty and his omnipotence and his omnipresence and his omniscience, and he closes in chapter 11 this amazing doxology of praise. And then we get this word, therefore. It's a huge shift from theological thinking and teaching to active Christian living. Therefore, because of all this that I've explained in chapter 1 through 11, that God's amazing grace and His power, therefore, what does He say? In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, spirit, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is your true worship. Worship isn't just singing. We talked about it in membership class today. Someone asked, well, what is true worship? Worship is, we worship in spirit and truth, but we worship with our whole lives. It's not just coming to, to church, coming to church on Sunday morning to sing a couple songs and to read a couple scriptures and to hear a sermon and leave. That's a worship service, but even then, worship is giving our whole selves everything that we do. It does include song. It does include scripture reading. It does include preaching and teaching. But everything we do, getting up in the morning, putting clothes on, eating, working, exercising, resting, everything is worship because we, our body, is temple of Holy Spirit. Individually and collectively, we are God's temple. And everything that we are, everything that we do is holy unto Him. So Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercy or in view of the mercies of God, brothers and sisters, Everyone, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What are the mercies of God? What is mercy? 
Mercy is withholding the just punishment that someone deserves. That is mercy. Mercy is when someone is guilty of a punishment and the judge, the executor of the punishment, decides to withhold his hand and not give that just punishment. That is mercy. It's having compassion and forgiveness and patience and perseverance is giving all of that to someone who does not deserve it. They did not earn it. They, in fact, deserve the opposite. They deserve to be punished. Have you guys ever had mercy given to you by another human being? Years ago in Mexico, I was preaching on propitiation. And Eric was like four or five years old. And after the service, he asked what it meant. How Jesus is our propitiation, how he took our place. And I think I've shared this before with you guys. So I explained that to Eric, that Jesus took our place. He took our punishment on the cross. He shed his blood. Okay. And if you know Eric, he's pretty deep. My son. He's only like four years old. A couple days later, Sammy did something that deserved a spanking. And I was getting ready to give Sammy his spanking. And Eric came in and said, Daddy, you know how you're talking about propitiation, how Jesus took our place? Could I take Sammy's place and take the punishment? Sammy deserved to be punished. And Eric is asking me to withhold my hand from what Sammy deserved and to give it to Eric. I did. My fear for myself and for all of us is that we truly don't grasp and comprehend the judgment that we so deserve from a holy, righteous, perfect, loving God. We are so sinful. We're born into sin. We're born dead, dead in our sins, dead in our transgressions. And many times, the very breath that God gives us, we curse others. The resources He gives us, the talents He gives us, the life He gives us, we live for ourselves. And I'm not like counting up all these lists, all these sins. I'm just saying we are so sinful. And Paul talks about that from Romans 1 to Romans 11, about how sinful and broken we are. How wretched and self-centered and selfish and prideful and arrogant and immoral and envious and covetous. On and on. I've noticed over the past couple years, and maybe it's just because I'm back in the States, but I've noticed in pop culture and in public culture that when someone realizes or feels like, feels like they're being accused of being a good person, I mean, their lid is popped off. And they get irate. You mean you're telling me I'm not a good person? I've seen it in talk shows. I've seen it in interviews. I've heard it on podcasts. I've heard it in Q&As of numerous podcasts, when people realize or think that they're being accused of not being a good person, they lose themselves. Because the honest truth, most people truly think deep down that they're pretty good. Most Christians, most of us think we're actually we're pretty good. But we are not good. And if we look here in Romans chapter 3, flip over to Romans chapter 3, Paul makes it very clear 
And this is his truth right here. This is God's truth right here. Romans 3, starting in verse 9. Paul has all talked about, he's talked about the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's putting everybody in the same boat, the boat of condemnation. Here in verse 9, Paul says, what then? Are we any better off? We as Jews, are we any better off than the Gentiles? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles is anybody who's not a Jew, are all under sin, as it is written. And this is what describes you and me and our regular human sin nature. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All, how many? All have turned away. All alike have become what? Worthless. There is no one who does what is good. How many do good? No one. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Boy, we could get real honest. How many of us have spewed gossip, criticism, slander just this morning? complaining just this morning about the weather, maybe about your body, maybe about the food you ate, maybe about your car, maybe about your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents, or maybe about something in the worship service, maybe about the weather. Viper's venom is under their lips. This is describing us. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. In the path of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This describes us, every last human being. None of us are without excuse. And Paul explains all of this stuff in Romans 1 through 11. And he explains the amazing mercies and grace of God through Christ and Jesus' death on the cross. And so out of response, how should we respond? We should offer, we should view God's mercies and remember it and not forget it and understand if it wasn't for his grace and his mercy. Where would we be? Who would we be? And so how are we to respond? Offer our whole selves, our bodies as what? As living sacrifices. Holy. Holy is not abstaining from sin. Holy is devoting ourselves to God and his purposes. He makes us holy. We can't make ourselves holy. But we are commanded to offer ourselves to him, a holy and pleasing to God. This is our true worship. And then here's where we get into, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect gift or perfect will of God. Paul says, I urge you, brothers, I urge you, brothers. I'll never forget, it was about six years ago. Our Sunday school director in our church, and I think I've shared this with you guys before in the past, she was kidnapped by the cartel, and they were demanding thousands of dollars for her release, or she had been killed that afternoon. And the family was a huge extended family in our church. They called everyone together. They called me, so we came to the house, her, the, this woman's house, and she was only like 25 years old. And she is living with her folks. And we were in their home and they had this little store in the front room of their house. And there are probably 30 of us there. 
And the cartel called back, demanding how much and where we would meet. And one of the uncles was on the phone, and he was scared to death. I could just tell him his voice. He, 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 he knew that with every word he said or didn't said might put in the balance the life of his niece. And he hung up the phone. He explained what needed to be done. And then we gathered around. We said, let's pray. Because we were truly at their mercy. And I will never forget, and I'm going to try not to cry, but this woman's mother, Maria Elena, I'll never forget her prayer. She got down on her knees, and I've never have heard a prayer before or since of just pleading, pleading for God's mercy upon her daughter to release, to release her. And the tears, and she wasn't, I mean, she was very, it was just like this firm, faithful, fervent, deep, from the gut, pleading and urging God to have mercy and grace. Prayer, and I've never seen it before or since. And it was one of those sins of like, man, we are on holy ground. This is amazing. And we prayed for probably 30 minutes. And about two hours later, she was released. They didn't have to say a thing. But that pleading, when I read this urging and this pleading, and it was a miraculous story. Invite me out for coffee and I'll share it. It's amazing. But the pleading, Paul is pleading with the Romans to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. So when we love God with our mind, we need to offer ourselves completely to him. Everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I think, everything that I do, I give to you, Father, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. That is the first step. The second one is this. Paul says, don't be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to this world. There's tons of verses all throughout Scripture. Peter talks about it. He says, dearly brothers, brothers and sisters, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the worldly passions of how you used to live. John says in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Stop right there. What's the world? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world. So what's he talking about here about not loving the world? The world in this context is the sinful system, social, political, human, societal system that we now live in. And it gets manifested in each and every individual with the pride and lust and hate and selfishness, immorality, but also within political systems and social systems. It can be seen in every way. The greed, the covetousness. And John talks a little bit about it. He says, do not love the world for everything in the world. And this is how he describes it. The lust of the flesh. That deep lust that we have. Not just sexual lust, but lust for anything and everything that can become an idol. It could be money, it could be food, it could be fame, it could be sex, it could be power. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, seeing things that we so long to have, and some of it might not be evil or wrong. I don't know if you've noticed, Todd and I were kind of happy this morning. Why? Because our football team won. And I'll be honest, I'll speak for myself, probably could speak for Todd. Tennessee football can become an idol for us. It can for me. It could be something as dumb and simple as football. It could become something we lust after. We so desire, filling us with pride. The last one, 
and the pride of one's possessions. I'll be honest with you, driving my little green Ford Focus around, at times if I'm next to somebody in a big old jacked up four-wheel truck, it makes me feel a little intimidated. Just being honest. And that's dumb. But the pride of what in one's possessions, that is the worldly system that John commands us. Do not love that. So we need to sit when it says, when Paul tells us in Romans, do not be conformed by the pattern of this world. What is it around us in our homes, in our own lives, in our workplaces, in our society? The pattern of this world, the greed, the lust, the covetousness, the envy, the pride, the arrogance, the betrayal, the selfishness, the sinfulness, the arrogance. That is the world that flows around us. And Paul is basically saying, stand in the middle of it, turn in its opposite direction. And if our cultural, if the world is flowing this way, we need to walk against it. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. And when we do so, when we don't conform to the pattern of this world, but then be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we will be able to discern, we'll be able to distinguish what is God's will? And His will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. So how do we do that? Practical steps. How do we renew our mind? I'm going to share a couple of things really quickly, and at the end of the sermon, we'll look at them again. But the first and foremost... As Paul commands us here, it's just offering ourselves. Lord, I'm all yours. It's then being intentional every day to not be conformed to the sinful world system around us, but to walk against it. It's also prayer. In Psalm 26, 2, David prayed to the Lord, Try me, test my heart, test my mind. It says in Jeremiah that the heart is the thing that's most deceitful in all the world. We can so deceive ourselves every day with any and everything. So we need to live a life of prayer where we're constantly asking the Lord, press me down, test me, try me, prove me. Anything that's sinful and wrong, mold it out. Burn it up. The second one is this, feed your mind on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8 says we are to set our mind on the Spirit who is life. We are to intentionally, our mind is what we, do, what we, we make our decisions on. You think Jesus was real joyful when he was hanging on the cross? What was he doing the night in Gethsemane? Pleading to his Father that that cup would be taken away. But he decided with his mind with his will. And he was devoted to his Father's will. And he chose to walk in that will, even when he didn't feel like it, even when he was pleading even to the point of shedding blood, his sweat. Number three, actively pursue truth. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in Philippians 4.8. 
whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is holy. Hey, uh, Ben, you can take that down for a minute. We'll look at that here in a second. And then the last one is this. In Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua 1, we flip over to Joshua real quick. And I know we're looking at a lot of verses. In Joshua chapter 1, in a little bit of context, Moses has died. The Israelites have been in the desert for 40 years. Joshua, his attendant, his assistant, is now the new leader, leading millions of Israelites into the promised land. Can you imagine the task of being a new leader following a very powerful, well-known, famous, good leader who the people respected and despised? Moses is dead, and here we have this new whippersnapper who's in charge. And look at what God commands him here in chapter 1, verse 8. God tells Joshua this, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night. So that you may be carefully, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. He then goes on to tell him, and he says it numerous times in this chapter: "Be strong and courageous." Have I not told you, be strong and courageous? In our men's Bible study at Panera, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. But what speaks to me very powerfully is verse eight: "Let this book of the law not depart from your mouth." Meditate on it day and night. One of the images, and I mentioned this the other day, if you take an old dry sponge, it can easily break apart. It's crusty, it's old, it's worthless. But if you dip it into a bucket of water, it will absorb that water and it will become soft, flexible, and usable. Many times we can become like that old, dry, dirty, stinky sponge. And with the trials of life and the temptations of life, the struggles, the losses, the disappointments, they're like hits to our soul and to our mind and to our heart, and we can grow cold, hard, and tired. And this passage here, it encourages me, it inspires me, it reminds me, I need to be like that old, dry sponge And I need to dip myself completely back into the water of God's word and his presence. And allow his living word to touch and transform my life. Even if I don't feel like it, I need to run to him. It says in Proverbs that we are to pursue knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we need to always have in mind his great mercies. And what he's given us and what he's withheld from giving us for what we deserve. And we need to offer ourselves completely to him. We need to meditate on his word. We need to decide with our mind and our will to obey his word. We need to live a life of prayer and just ask the Lord, try me and test me and mold me and shape me. We need to actively pursue what is true and good and right and holy, submitting everything to the mind of Christ. And submitting everything to the mind of Christ is not trying to forget or shove out the negative sinful thoughts, but it's to hand them over to him saying, God, I'm struggling with this. We do need to gather other brothers and sisters around us because we walk together. We can't do it by ourselves. 
We need others sometimes to hold us up. Sometimes we're the paralytic who's being carried to Jesus. Other times we're the friends of the paralytic carrying our brothers and sisters to Jesus. That's where that second great aspect of the great commandment comes in. So in closing, I want to invite everybody to stay seated. We're not going to stand, but we are going to do this. And Dick, do you mind coming up to the piano? It would be great. We're just going to spend a moment in silence. And if God has been speaking to you today in any way, a practical step, an action step that he's calling you, telling you that you need to do, it might be a it might need to be a confession of sin or repenting from something. Or it might be something, man, I have just totally drifted from diving into God's Word. I don't spend time in Scripture. I don't spend time meditating on it. I don't spend time truly basking and resting and seeking after Him. But if God's spoken to you today, I want to ask you to stand. And I want to pray for you. Go ahead and play, Dig. It's fine. But I want to take just a moment in silence, silent prayer. I'm going to pray, then we're just going to sit in silence and let Dick play. And if God has been speaking to you, I just want you to stand up. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would move in our hearts. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, how you speak to us. And may we respond by saying yes. Lord Jesus, keep any and all of us from standing up just because others are standing up. Woe to us if we do anything out of fear of man or woman. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I thank you for each and every person here today. Jesus, I thank you for how you're working in the hearts of all of us. And Father, in particular, for those who have stood up, I praise you, Jesus. You are their good and great shepherd. You are speaking to them now. And may they, in your power, Holy Spirit, take that next step that you're calling them to do, to be. May they trust in you for the power, the humility, the courage to follow you. Father, we thank you that your word is living and it's active. And may we truly love you with all of our mind. May we love you with all of our soul. And may we love you with all of our heart. Lord Jesus, may we humble ourselves, allowing you to drown us with your love and your word. May we be faithful to what you've called us to do. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. I want to invite all of us to stand. And as we close today, members of our prayer team will be over here to your right. And if you would like prayer, feel free to come forward. They would love to pray with you, for you. 
Or if you just want to come up to the altar of these steps, spend some time alone with the Lord, you can, or just right in your spot where you are. But we're going to close with some more worship.